Yes, John chapter 2. Two of the weddings are parables. One of the weddings, the first one is factual and historical in nature, and that's John chapter 2. Jesus Christ, his first miracle was at a wedding. And the last wedding in, in the New Testament, of course, that we see is the one in Revelations chapter 19, verse 7. Weddings are a big part of the culture, in the Hebrew culture, and a big part in our, uh, our culture today, at least they used to be. It's one of the reasons the, uh, the uh, devil is so against marriage. Marriage, in Ephesians chapter 5, you can read about how marriage is a likeness of Christ's relationship to the church and uh, is an example, example of our relationship. Your windshield wipers are on, aren't they? Oh, okay, he needs... <laughs> <laughs> Amen. I just did. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. But uh, the devil attacks weddings. He does attacks marriages. He doesn't want to see them. They're, uh, uni they're unity, and they're of God. And uh, the first wedding we see is Jesus Christ. His first miracle, of course, was at a wedding. And the third day of the marriage, uh, verse, two, verse 1 of chapter 2 of John, and the third day... There was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they had waited, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. I like that verse because I was formerly raised in a Catholic church, and they teach in the Catholic church to pray to Mary that somehow she's got a special connection to God, and they use this portion of Scripture to validate that because he said his hour was not yet come, yet he conceded and was obedient to his mother, but that was all part of God the Father's divine plan for Jesus Christ to be known of mankind and to perform his first miracle. Uh, I like to point out to my Catholic friends that we should be obedient to Jesus, to uh, the Virgin Mary and follow verse 5, and it says, His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And that's where I leave them with that portion of Scripture. She says to do whatever Jesus says. Jesus saith unto them, the servants, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. These water pots were about eight gallons. They were about 40 inches in height and probably 10 to 15 inches in diameter. Uh, they have a special uh, term for the, the volume they hold, but generally... A firkin, yeah, is that what it is? Yes, sir. You probably got that in your Bible notes, too. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew it not whence it came, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And they went into him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, they that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. 
This beginning of miracles did Jesus of Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Jesus Christ, that reminds me of a portion of scripture, it says, happy are those that have not seen, yet have believed. We talked in Sunday school about angels. Angels have seen and believed. They envy us that have not seen and believed. Now, one point I want to bring out in this portion, in this wedding, as we look at it, it's a popular portion of Scripture. I uh, always argue with people about this is, oh, Jesus Christ made wine. Well, in the first place, we've, we've done in our studies, and we've looked at Scripture, and we see that there's a difference between wine and strong drink all through Scripture. And uh, uh, this is simply wine that probably hasn't fermented or became bad wine. Now, an interesting note about this time is this is very specific in the third day and when it happened and where. Grape harvest in Israel takes place in July and August. The Passover, which was just during, just before this wedding, uh, takes place in early April or May. Now, they didn't have any, for, uh, any process by which to store wine, so chances are that wine was six to seven months old already and had invariably started to ferment. doesn't take very long for wine to ferment. It was probably stored in a cool place underground and in the darkness to retard that fermentation, but thus it was slightly tainted and would be called bad wine. That's why the gentleman brings forth in this portion of Scripture, the, the guy who handles the feast, that the bride, they bring out the good wine, the fresher wine, and as the people get well uh, uh, drunken, and I use that in the proper terminology, as they drink of the fresh wine and use it up, invariably they bring out the tainted wine. Now, I've had the privilege in my household, uh, my wife's made wine, uh, all, uh, and we had grapes, and it was grape juice. But one day we looked around at the breakfast table, and we had a little grape juice on the table, and the kids were giggling, and they go, this tastes like soda pop because it was starting to ferment, was becoming bad wine. And that's particularly what this portion of Scripture points out, as it was becoming tainted, six, seven months being stored with the best of it, very expensive process to store wine. Uh, in those days, a very costly endeavor, but they could afford it for the feast. So Christ took and changed the water into wine, thus it was fresh grape juice fresh grape juice, and uh, they was commented that it was called wine. The difference between wine and strong drink, wine is grape juice, strong drink is anything with alcohol in it to a degree. Strong drink could be your cough syrup you buy at the grocery store this week. But that's one lesson we can learn from this, that Jesus Christ took this opportunity, that he loved mankind enough that he catapulted himself into his ministry on earth in the form of a marriage. Now, it's kind of interesting in your New Testament, the last place and the last reference you see to Christ in a marriage feast is prophetic in nature, and it takes place in Revelations chapter 9, 1-9. Let's go over there, chapter 19. And we see Christ ends his ministry on this earth, or with the people of this earth, in Revelations chapter 19. 
again, a marriage feast. The two marriage feasts we'll may possibly touch on in this portion, uh, this, this time of, together, are uh, parables, but Christ has a lot of involvement with a wedding feast. 19.7, I'll start in verse 1. After these things heard a voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Did you see that? Salvation, glory, honor, and power unto the Lord our God. For true righteousness are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which corrupted the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of the servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. That particular corrupt individual was thrown into the lake of fire and the smoke poured out and destruction of wickedness was performed. And four and twenty elders and four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Hallelujah, hallelujah. It strikes me that right now at this very moment in heaven, there are angels and saints and martyrs before the throne of God bringing praise, glory, and honor to him. And that he tells them on Sunday morning when we gather together as a church, hush and let us listen to them. He does that. He honors his relationship with mankind through the marriage of the Lamb and through his sacrifice on the cross. And the voices came out of the throne saying, Praise our God and all you servants and they that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and the voice of many waters and as the voice of a mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Omnipotent is all-encircling. That's what the word means, all-encircling. It says, I like that part in verse 5 where it says that fear him small and great. You can be small and fear the Lord. You don't have to be dominant. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to be of mighty renown, which we touched on in Sunday school. You don't have to be popular. You can be small and great trouble in our society today is we tend to honor with greatness those that don't fear God. We have a man in, in, our, uh, in our government today that literally does not fear God. Wouldn't make the decrees and the punishments and the judgments he does against the church in the, and against the concepts of good if he feared God to any degree. In fact, his fear of God is so short that he's been denied his church membership and uh, it's a result of that that's the day and age we live in so that will be eliminated and it says let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him him being God Lord omnipotent reigneth when he reigns and will have control over absolute well he allows uh, mankind to relinquish his control and God uh, has control over everything. He gives honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. Who's his wife and who has she made herself ready for? It's the church of the living God. It's those that believe in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for their sins, both small and great. 
people small and great. You don't have to be someone awfully special and awfully important to believe in God and to be part of his realm, part of his buried supper, part of his relationship to this earth. You just have to believe. And, and to her was granted that she would be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Your sins will be washed away. Your iniquity will be taken from you. Your negativeness, your shortcomings, those things that make you frail and weak as a human being, those things that make you small will be washed away. You will receive a white garment. You will receive fine linen. You'll be clothed in God's righteousness, and you will be made great. You will be made a son of God. You will be made part of his power and his glory and his raiment. You'll be part of that intimate relationship that takes place in a marriage. You'll be part of that whole mechanism that is performed in Revelations chapter 19, verse 7. And you'll defy the wicked. And you'll be part of putting down the evil and the bad in this world. God the Father loves you, and he gave his son to die for you. And it's part of his marriage relationship with the church. And it's a wonderful thing in Revelations chapter 19, verse 7. And he saith unto them, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. You have his word on it. This, isn't, this is very explicit as far as what's going to happen. When, we don't know. But we know it will happen. And I fell at the feet by the, and worshipped him, and he saith unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren that have thy testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We have to believe in the spirit of prophecy. We have to believe in Revelations chapter 19 as much as we do in John chapter 3 verse 16. The early saints, the early Christians had to do the same thing. They had to look forward to the coming Messiah, the prophetic po portion of Scripture that said, on a day, mankind will be blessed by a servant coming to this world from heaven in the form of a child, born in a humble surroundings, where he would reign forever and ever, both small, with small and great. They looked forward to that day the Old Testament saints, us as New Testament saints, and I use that term loosely as in this day and age, since that Savior has come to this planet, we look back to Jesus Christ, and we look back to that scripture. But what do we have to look forward to? As we talked about in Sunday school, the faith that we exercise to this day, the things that uh, faith is the evidence of things hoped for, and uh, proof of things we have not seen. Uh, I'm using that term loosely. It's Hebrews chapter 1. I believe it's verses 1 and 2. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 1. We have to look forward. We look back in history to Jesus Christ dying on a cross for our sins. But we look forward to faith, to that marriage supper of the Lamb, to that portion of uh, that wedding in Revelations chapter 19. There's a couple of feasts in Revelations. There's the feast of the Lamb, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there's another feast where the birds feed on the carcasses of the wicked and the evil. There's a positive and a negative. 
And the negative side of that is justice will be served, righteousness will be rewarded, and sin will be punished. And that's what Scripture's about. That's what God's about. That's what the marriage is about that's coming up. Those are the things we look forward to as humans. Those are the things we can exercise our faith and look forward to. This, this time coming up now, wedding is a, as a, por, as a place when people gather, gather together, mostly people that are related. And that's why we call each other brothers and sisters, to remind ourselves that we are related in Christ as sons and daughters, as people that will come before the king and the marriage feast of the Lamb. We, are, we call each other brothers and sisters. We'll gather together one day, not only on Sundays, but we'll gather together in heaven, in eternity with God. We'll have our shortcomings dismissed. There'll be no powerful. There'll be no weak. We'll all be equal in God's eyes. Isn't that a wonderful thing to look forward to? And as we prepare for that, we prepare for that in ways that we gather together on Sundays and Wednesdays and church services and special meals. It's, an, it's a preparation for that coming wedding feast. That's why God is so concerned about us being present, by being exercising those relationships, and we're learning to work together. If we don't, when we get to heaven, it's going to be kind of hard to get along with one another. Of course, we'll be all made perfect, and that'll help. And the Lord will be part of that whole magnificent plan. It's a wonderful thing, and it's a wonderful thing to look forward to. So in this day and age, when we kind of dread sometimes in this day and age and in this holiday season, when we dread, oh, getting together with grandma and grandpa, they're, they're a little different, or uncle and aunt, and they're different, and they're not, they uh, they're not God-fearing, or they're, they're uh, really strange, or they're, uh, they're a bunch of Democrats. Oh, I didn't say that. Uh, we have to learn to, uh, to be exemplatory, and we have to learn to get along as best we can, and be a testimony of that time when we will be easily uh, united in Christ. It's a wonderful thing to look forward to. And we have a chance, an opportunity to practice it, not only every Sunday, but through different feasts and holidays. Weddings in those days weren't something that came and passed in a day. Most of the weddings were at least a week long. They centered around a church service. They started with usually a church service, a temple service, if you will, and they ended usually with a temple service, week to week. And uh, we are here for 70 years on the average. We have an opportunity to participate and practice our faith in those relationships with others and those relationships with Christ. Let's all stand. Perhaps next time we'll look at one of the other parables about the wedding feast. We'll see what the Lord does. But we have an opportunity now as Christians to uh, embark on it. Each one of us have a responsibility as Christians in the next few weeks to be exemplatory in how we should get along with others. Uh, some of the men in this church already this morning were exemplatory not only in shoveling out the church's walk and plowing the driveway, but going on to other people and other driveways and other places and doing much the same they did here. I'm glad they started here because this is where righteousness should start is in church. 
but it should be practiced throughout this land. It should be practiced throughout this time until we're united together in Christ. 